Fresh manna fell to the ground as a gift from God while the Israelites were in the wilderness. This is what they ate for 40 years. It was fresh from the ovens of heaven, baked by the master baker himself. How the Israelites must have anticipated the taste and smell of each morning's delivery. Just like the Israelites, you too can now experience the taste and smell of fresh manna. Today, you will be listening to Jermaine Gale, pastor of the East Lansing University and Lansing Spanish Seventh-day Adventist Churches. And now, here's Pastor Jermaine. Good morning again. Happier when the weather is so lovely. And I'm reminded of my hometown and my homeland, Jamaica. All right. As we begin this morning with our sermon titled, It May Be, I'd like to invite you to pray with me once more. Just bow your heads and let's pray together. Loving Father in heaven, I want to thank you so much for the privilege that every single time we get to come before you to worship, and every single time we come before you to learn more from your word, we count it an honor to be in your presence today. And Father, we pray that this moment may be a transformative moment. We pray, Lord, that you may speak to us and that you may guide us into a deeper experience with you. Father, we thank you for the many blessings you've given to us. And we pray now, Lord, that your presence may guide us through this moment is our prayer. In Jesus' name, let everyone say, Amen. It may be. I want to remind you again that this month we are focusing on the family. And I strongly believe, and I've done this as I've had this as a practice for years now, that whenever there comes a time in my life where I don't know something about something, I tend to ask people who know or who have the experience to teach me. And that has benefited me over the years quite a lot. And so I realize that I am treading on, I guess you might say, holy ground in this case. And I'm treading on ground that I don't necessarily have a lot of experience. But I want to tell you that it is not unusual for me to preach on subjects that I know nothing about. There was a time in this local church where I preached a sermon on marriage, even though I was not married yet. And I was reminded after that sermon to come and say that again after you've been married 10 years. So I pray that this will be beneficial to you, and I pray that the Lord will utilize my experience on the other side of parenting. That is to say, I am a child, and I have parents, and I've learned from my parents, and I've learned from other parents that I've seen as I observed over the years some very, very useful things. And also, ultimately, and most importantly, we see very clear pictures of parenting in the Scriptures. Amen? Amen. And we look today at the life of Job. Job is a one-of-a-kind parent. We don't know much about Job's wife. I think that there was a time where she struggled in the story, but my assumption is that there was a time when they were both working together in harmony. And they helped to raise their children properly. We see Job highlighted in this book. His story is not an easy story to read. There were moments of difficulty in Job's life, and you know the story of Job. He had experienced some interesting or unusual tragedies. 
that are hard to explain when you read the book of Job. But you see the great controversy working in the life of Job. And I want to tell you that the great controversy is working as well in your home circle. Satan is against families. Satan is attacking families. And every single time he gets an opportunity, he's going to try his very, very best. And we see the curtains unfold in Job's story, and we see what is going on behind the scenes. But we also see on a practical level how Job operated in his life as a parent. And so today I want you to consider this one-of-a-kind parent, one a man considered by God to be like no other in the world. We read in Job, Job chapter 1, verse 8. This is God talking about Job. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth? He is one of a kind. There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Can you imagine God having that kind of testimony over your life? Saying, my child in the city of East Lansing is one of a kind. There is no one else like this person on earth. Out of the 7 billion people on planet earth, you stand out in the eyes and the mind of God. Oh, there's none like Job on the earth, the Lord says. And God is saying this to Satan. Now we read again in Job chapter 2 and verse 3. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And still, even after he was tried, he still holds fast his integrity. Praise God for the experience of Job. There's a lot to be learned from Job's story. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without a cause, he still holds fast his integrity. And there's a text that we often quote, I know that my Redeemer lives. And though after my flesh worms may eat, I know in the latter day I will see him. Job held fast his faith. But Job was a parent. And there are not a lot of consideration to this aspect of Job's life, but Job, I want to remind you today that he was a parent. Job had children. After evaluating all the people on the top side of the earth, the conclusion in heaven, God's response to settle the argument, is that there is no one like Job on earth. That is a powerful statement. And it should cause us to rejoice, meaning God is considering yours and my life. And in dialogue with the enemy, the arch enemy of souls, God is saying, look, this is my child and there's no one like him or her. This child belongs to me. Job had qualities. He is blameless, upright. He walked the straight path. He fears God and he walks away from evil. He holds fast his integrity even though Satan was out to destroy him. Job was a consistent Christian. And that is important. If there's one man on earth to talk to, therefore, that man ought to be Job. If there's one man on earth to consider, then we must consider Job. If we had the opportunity to learn, to consult in a classroom about parenting, then it might be well for us to sit and learn some lessons from Job. If Job were to do a course on parenting, it would be well to take notes because he knows what he's talking about. Job experienced tragedy. 
Job experienced trial. But Job also experienced success. We find that Job had a lot of wealth. That's how the story is introduced to us. Job chapter 1, we read this. Job chapter 1 and verse 3. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. So that this man was the greatest in the East. The life of Job. Job was a business owner. Job was a farmer. Job could do a dissertation on any subject that you see here. Job could teach you about shepherding. Job could teach you about yoking up oxen. He could teach you about tilling the ground. He was an expert in these areas. But this is not what made him great. If the world were to get a hold of Job's story, the world would tell the story this way. Everything regarding his faith would be left out and Job would be seen as an expert in these areas. Job would be seen as a man capable of giving a course on agriculture. He would be consulted in this regard, but not necessarily regarding his faith. But Job's family story was interrupted by tragedy. I would stumble across a book some years ago called When I Lay My Isaac Down, written by Carol and Jean Kent. And they're actually from Michigan. Very, very good book. The book is about basically their experience as a family when they received the phone call that their son committed murder. Grew up in a Christian household. He was one who believed in God. But yet still, he found himself at a point in his life where he was now paying the penalty for his crime, facing a life sentence, their son, JP. And she tells a story in the book of how difficult it was to face that tragedy, to face that news, as they clung and hung on to faith in God. It's a life-changing book. I would recommend that you read it. She said in the book, as she contemplated what she thought back to the moment where she received the phone call, she says this. When she received the phone call, it was about 12.35 a.m. in the morning. And someone on the other line had explained to her that JP was arrested. He was charged with first-degree murder. And she said this. My feet hit the floor as I tried to get out of bed, but my legs were incapable of holding my weight. I slumped to all fours. Nausea swept over me. She went on. I began crawling toward the bathroom where I could throw up, but everything was in slow motion. I had never experienced a shock, no strength. Wave after wave of nausea, dizziness, I had to remind myself to breathe. Can you imagine? She says, thoughts began swirling in my head. This must be a mistake or a cruel joke. Perhaps it's a case of mistaken identity. Maybe I'm living inside a horrific dream. Surely this news is not true. 
Someone is playing a perverse game. My son is not capable of taking the life of another human being, much less a premeditated act of such violence. This is not happening. My son is a dynamic Christian. Can you imagine the burden, the weight that is resting on a parent in that moment, realizing that their own child was capable of committing such a crime? It turns out that the person JP killed was also a Christian. Can you imagine the burden on the other side? What the other family was facing as they realized that their own child was killed by another Christian. Friends, these are difficult subjects. These are difficult things to analyze. And we see in, in Job's story the difficulty that comes with parenting. Every single parent, I imagine, prays like Hannah. If I get a child, I will offer him up to the Lord. And my prayer, my hope and desire as a parent is that one day this child will become a wonderful preacher or a wonderful missionary or a wonderful doctor or someone who loves God so much that he or she takes God into their profession and remain faithful to God no matter what. That's every parent's desire. But friends, we realize that sometimes that means hard work on the part of a parent. So today I want to say thank you to all of you who are parents because your work is not easy. I want to say thank you to my mother and father because I know who I was and their work was hard. I was a troublemaker as a child. I remember how difficult it was, not only for my parents, but you know there are people in the church family circle who tried to help you to steer you on the right path, but it didn't work out. I remember this lady, her name was Mrs. Miller, and she was just this very nice, wonderful lady. And she, when I remember the first time I went to a Seventh-day Adventist church, she invited me to do Bible studies with her. And I remember saying yes to her request. Yes, I would like to do Bible studies. But I knew inside my heart that I wasn't going to make any of the studies. And Mrs. Miller would show up to my grandmom's house every Sunday at about 1 p.m. And every single Sunday, five minutes before she arrived, I would leave the house. That's the type of person I was. And I remember when I finally got baptized, Mrs. Miller caught the news. And I remember how she rejoiced. Her words were, finally God got him. <laughs> I remember I called her up and had a conversation with her about the fact that now I was a preacher. And she said, yes, that's where God wants you to be. Friends, God can work miracles in the lives of those we pray for. And yes, we find this in Job's story. Sometimes families go through nightmares. There are moments when things hit the fan. And things get really, really difficult and hard. And there are moments, of course, of unmitigated joy where we are happy with how things are working out. That's how Job's story begins. It begins with 
outlining Job's wealth, his possession, and his family circle. Verse 2 of Job chapter 1, we read, And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. I am from a family of seven. I am the second in line. I have an older sister, and then I have after me a brother, and then another brother, and then brother and sister. So, so we were like a pretty big family. But can you imagine the feeling that Job had when he lost all his children? As a parent, can you imagine the difficulty that comes with that? But also, imagine Job's parenting style when his children were with him. Job had a practice. We read in our key text this morning, Job chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. His sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was, when the days of the feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. It was his custom. In other words, Job had a practice. Job, despite the fact that he was a wealthy man, despite the fact that his schedule might have been bogged down with his responsibilities. Think about it, friends. Job had a lot of things to manage. Job could teach a course on leadership. He had servants he was in charge of. Job could tell you about, again, as I mentioned earlier, raising sheep. He had 7,000 of them. Job had 3,000 camels. If Job was here today, he would have a YouTube channel that would go viral because of his skills. Job's schedule was busy, but yet still, as a parent, he saw the importance of making sure that he sanctified his children. Job was never too busy to pray with and for his children. And yet, Job had seven and three, ten children. Despite the busy schedule, Job always made it an appointment to pray for his children. Some of us as children, we really need a lot of prayers. I remember when I was a child, I was quite impatient. Pray for me now. I was very, very, very impatient. To give you an example of how impatient I was growing up, one morning, my mom was making a meal. She was making hot cereal. And I remember just walking around and nagging my mom, I'm ready to eat. And she would not, well, she paid attention to me, but she wanted me to wait for it to cool down. I was a bad kid. What did I do? Walked to the table. I had two problems. I was too short, and so I couldn't get up to the table. But my way of solving the problem was to grab a hold of the tablecloth. And so I grabbed it. 
and pulled it down. And that hot liquid spilled all over me. My mom, I remember, checked on me before she scolded me. But that's the kind of child I was. Friends, as children, and I understand from this perspective, since I'm not a parent yet, we can be a lot to handle. And I often pray and plead with the Lord, please don't give me a son like me. <laughs> Maybe you can join me in that prayer. <laughs> but friends, Job's course and practice was to pray with his children. They had a family practice, and their practice was to celebrate at each other's house. Job definitely had property. Each child had a home on his property, so Job had land. All siblings were invited to each other's celebration, as we read from the text. And we see that Job, his response to this celebration, well, number one, was to allow it. He didn't stop it. The children were able to gather together. These family gatherings happened annually. Some scholars believe that it was around their birthday time that all the children would come together and all the family would come together to celebrate in one another's house. I don't know, but we do see from the text that the family had harmony. They were always together in these celebrations. Can you imagine it? Job making his way on his camel to his son's house. Maybe his oldest son. The girls were invited too, so they're making their way. All the brothers are making their way to this family gathering. And they're all in the house celebrating and praising God for his blessings on them as a family. They're praising God for their wealth and the blessings that he has given to them as a family. And in the feast, in the celebration, we see Job in the corner meditating and thinking about the possibility of his sons cursing God, not publicly, but in their hearts. Sometimes as parents, we are quick to correct the wrongs externally but slow to think of what's happening internally. But not Job. Job thought about what was going on, not on the outside of his children, but on the inside of them. And friends, that's something that is very hard to address. There's only one way to address issues on the inside, and that is to pray and seek the Lord. Job, we read in verse 5, So it was, when the days of the feast had run their course. Here's the first thing I want you to remember. Every feast eventually runs its course. And as family, we must always remember to gather back together and put things in perspective. We are often used to celebrating, and we're often used to the joyous things that comes with celebrations. We celebrate birthdays, we celebrate Thanksgiving, we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate all these different things as a family, but do we come back together for consecration after those celebrations? Job's practice was to come together and consecrate after those celebrations. This was really, you could say, every single time there was a birthday party, there was a rededication afterwards. Every single year of your life that God has granted to you as a child, Job would say, 
Look, praise him for that. But let's reconsecrate your life this year to the Lord. And Job would do that often. As a parent, always remember that every celebration eventually run its course. We must always remember the importance of gathering the family after the celebration to say, let's reconsecrate our lives as a family to the Lord. Utilize those moments of celebration to say, God is the most important person in your life, my son or my daughter. We read later in Job chapter 1, verse 18, that this was the very place that Satan attacked Job's children. Job chapter 1, verse 18, while he was still speaking, this is one of the servants delivering the bad news to Job, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead. Satan attacked them during a celebration. But I praise God that Job consecrated them prior. It is always important to remember, friends, to consecrate ourselves as a family. I wanted to share with you the story of Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China. And he shares a story. I want to read it to you so that you can get a glimpse of his life story and, and the impact that he received from his parents. His conversion goes like this. He says, it is a monument of the power of prayer. When he was about 17 years of age, he went one afternoon into his father's library in search of a book with which to while to utilize the time. Finally, he picked up a gospel tract, Hudson Taylor, which looked interesting and said to himself, there will be a story at the beginning of this tract and a story at the end of it. So therefore, I'll read the beginning and the end of the tract. Hudson Taylor was quite rebellious at this time, and he didn't really want anything to do with religion. His father had the burden on his heart to reach China, and he had prayed in his heart that one day God would give him a son who would go to China. And he prayed and prayed and prayed, and finally he gave up hope. But his mother, Hudson Taylor's mother, really prayed. Little did Hudson know what was going on on the other side in the heart of his mother. She was 70 or 80 miles away from where Hudson Taylor was. That very afternoon, she went to her room with an intense yearning for the conversion of her son. She turned the key into her door and resolved not to leave the room until she had assurance that her son would be converted. And she prayed and prayed and prayed hour after hour, pleading, pleading, and asking the Lord to work in the life of Hudson Taylor. Finally, she received the assurance, your son will be saved. She got up off her knees and went back to her business. Hudson was still reading the track. Hudson had come across the expression that read, the finished work of Christ. Remembering the words, it is finished, he raised the question, what was finished? He at once replied, a full and perfect atonement 
and satisfaction for sin. By the way, he's reading the end of the track, not the content, just the end of the track. And he realized that Christ was his substitute in that moment. And in that moment, in answer to his mother's prayer, Hudson Taylor decided to give his life to God. During his missionary endeavors, he shared that his father had a practice that really had an impact on him. He said his father would often pray in his closet during his devotional time. And he would invite Hudson Taylor to join him in that moment. And Hudson Taylor recalled that in those moments where his father prayed with him and prayed for him in that secret place in the closet, he said he's never felt the presence of God so close than in those moments with his father. And that really had an impact on him. Hudson Taylor's father taught him how to pray. He finally, by the way, became a missionary. And God answered the prayer of his father and mother. We read in Job chapter 1 and verse 5 the actions of Job. Job would send and sanctify them, rededicate them to the Lord after every celebration. But then we read, he would offer burnt offerings. In other words, after this moment of celebration, there was a rededication and also repentance. Job would say, son, This is the time for us to give our lives to God again. And no matter how old they were, Job would still call this conference every time they celebrated. So a time of reconsecration, a time of rededication, and a time of repentance. And then we read the reason why Job did this. He got up early every morning and did it. The offering was offered for all of them. None were in this Great ceremony. For Job said, this was his reasoning. This was his motivation. This was the primary reason why he chose to live this way as a parent. Job said, it may be. Not that anything has happened. But it may be. Job is saying it's quite possible. That in the heart of my child, there is some distance between him and her and God. And therefore, we need to come together to rededicate this child to the Lord. It may be was his motivating factor. It may be that there is some variance between my son, daughter, and God. And therefore, I'm going to spend the time as a parent to pray for and with My child. So Job, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And Job did this how often? Regularly. That was his practice. Friends, today we can learn from Job in this sense that even though as parents, We have our busy schedules and all these things going on. We can still raise the family altar and pray and rededicate our children to the Lord. Friends, a missionary may be born in your house. The next Hudson Taylor might be right beside you. Be 
like Job. And even if your motivating factor is just simply this, it may be, let it be said of you that you rededicate your children and reconsecrate them to the Lord regularly. Sons and daughters of God, page 257. Amid the festivities of his sons and daughters, Job trembled lest his children should displease God. As a faithful priest of his household, he offered sacrifices for them individually. He knew the offensive character of sin and the thought that his children might forget the divine claims led him to God as an intercessor on their behalf. As a parent, intercede on behalf of your children. I am here today because someone interceded on my behalf. Friends, let us not neglect this very important duty to take care of our children. And as a pastor, I feel also it is my responsibility to intercede on your behalf and on behalf of your children. But friends, join me in that great work because the responsibility rests first upon you as a parent. And I pray that you may remind me of this sermon in years to come. But my little son, hopefully, or daughter, is a part of our congregation here. And I pray, friends, that you and I may join hands in this community to raise our children in the fear of the Lord. You have been listening to Jermaine Gale, pastor of the East Lansing University and Lansing Spanish Seventh-day Adventist Churches. If you enjoyed this sermon, why not visit one of his churches this coming Sabbath or a church near you listed on strongtowerradio.org. You will find the East Lansing University Church at 504 Ann Street in East Lansing, Michigan, and their church service begins at 11.20 a.m or visit the Lansing Spanish Church located at 111 North Magnolia Avenue in Lansing, Michigan, and their church service begins at 11.30 a.m. This program is a Strong Tower Radio production.